Lord, we're so grateful that you hear every prayer, every cry of our heart. Lord, we ask that you would open your word to us this morning. Teach us how to pray and be honest with you in prayer so that we can know you better. We pray this in your name. Amen. One of the things I love about my wife is that she always tells me exactly what she's feeling. She's very, very direct. For instance, before Valentine's Day, she'll often say something to me like, Valentine's Day is coming up, and in order for me to feel loved, I need the following three things. A card, dinner reservations, and you have to say something nice. I love it. It's very direct. I No guessing. I can just do the checklist. You know, it's awesome. Now, I got to say, it also has its downsides, because when she's mad at me, I know very well that she is mad at me, and I have her permission to share this. I remember one time when we were first married, coming home late for dinner one night, and when I opened the front door, she threw a spoon in my direction. Not at me, just sort of in my direction to get my attention, and here's the brilliant thing I said, are you angry, dear? She's in the front row today, she's usually not there. I always know what she's feeling. It's wonderful, usually. (laughs) And that's what I like about Psalm 22. It is a psalm about being honest with God. We're looking at the Psalms this summer as a way of teaching us how to pray. And one of the things Psalm 22 tells us about prayer is that we need to be honest with God about what we're feeling, even if we're feeling disappointed or angry with Him. I've talked with several people in the last couple of weeks who are facing major difficulties in life or health crises, and God doesn't seem to be helping, and at bare minimum, they are disappointed with God, and in some cases, even angry. And Psalm 22 tells us how to talk with God when we're in those times. King David, who wrote it, says to God, why have you forsaken me? I pray every day, I pray every night, and nothing happens. You ever feel that way? Ever feel like God just isn't listening? You pray for the cancer to go away and it doesn't. You pray for the kids to be Christian and they aren't. You pray for the marriage to heal and it won't. You pray to find a job and you can't. That's when we can say to God what David says. Where are you? What good are you? I'm here talking, but you're not listening and that makes me mad. Now, does that seem blasphemous? you, maybe irreverent or at least dangerous, I want you to know that if you pray that way, you are in very good company. That's how King David prays in this psalm. Jeremiah, the prophet, at one point gets so upset with God, he says to him, you have deceived me. You lied to me. It's strong language. But if David and Jeremiah can pray this way, then so can we. Now, I need to say, just to be clear, God never wants us to be disrespectful or rude to him. But in prayer, God always wants us to tell him how we feel, even if we're angry. And for those of us who've been around the church for a long time, that can be hard. Because a lot of times we've been taught all the right Christian answers. When times get tough, we've been taught to say things like, oh, I know it'll turn out for the best. Or God has never been closer Or, I'm just going to take it to the Lord in prayer. And all of those things are true. 
But what happens when you pray and it doesn't seem to help? What happens when God doesn't seem close to you? What happens when your prayers seem to bounce off the ceiling when there's nobody on the other end of the line, not even a dial tone? What happens then? What this psalm says is that we can be honest with God about our feelings and can do so in some pretty upfront ways. David uses some pretty direct language here. You know, he starts the psalm with one of the most anguished cries in the Bible. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Notice David doesn't say, theologically speaking, Lord, I know that you're omnipresent. However, existentially, I am not experiencing your ubiquitousness right now. (laughs) Amen. Oh, he cries out in despair, maybe even anger. Why have you forsaken me? Where are you? I remember working with a student whose mom had died and he was feeling angry with God. So I said, well, tell him that you're mad at him. And he said, I can't do that. I'll get zapped. I'm not going to get zapped. It's okay. Just tell him. And so he started to pray. He said, God, I'm, I'm upset with you right now. And I said, oh, come on. That's wimpy. You can do better than that. Let him have it. God can take it. He knows what we're thinking and feeling anyway. There's no fooling him on that one. What he really wants from us is that we are honest with him, have an honest conversation about our feelings because that's what a relationship is and that's what he wants from us, to talk these things through. Before I was married, I I dated a woman who would never tell me what she was feeling. When she seemed upset, if I asked her what's wrong, you know what she'd say? Nothing. And I'd say, oh, come on, you seem upset. She'd go, what's wrong? And she'd go, nothing, nothing at all. I'm perfectly fine. Why do you ask? I don't know. There just seems like there's something in that nothing. What is it? And we'd kind of go on until finally I'd get the line I just love. If I have to tell you, you don't love me. I think this isn't working out. It's not a relationship. Love, relationship is telling each other what we're feeling, even if we're angry. You see, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. To tell someone you're mad at them is to still be in a relationship with them. It's to communicate so that we can bridge the gap and fix the problem. And that's what God wants from us, relationship. That's why David says, my God, my God. It's an expression of intimacy. And it shows that in spite of feeling abandoned, the relationship is still there. In times of despair, we can be honest with God about our feelings. But there's another part of being honest with God in prayer. And this psalm also teaches us how to do that. Because to be honest in prayer means not only telling God how we feel, but to be truly honest, we also need to remember the times that God has been faithful in the past. Notice how this psalm goes back and forth with with David telling God, you've abandoned me, you've forsaken me. And then suddenly he says things like, and yet you saved our ancestors and... You kept me safe when I was a kid. And the phrase, and yet, or but, keeps coming up over and over again. And David goes back and forth, feeling that God has abandoned him. But then he remembers all the times that God has been there for him. And I love that back and forth nature because that's how my prayers work. Where are you? Oh, there you are. Good to know. Sometimes we get in the mode where all we can see is the negative. All we can see is where God doesn't seem to be working. But to be truly honest with God, we need to remember those times when God has been faithful in the past. Because that's how we begin to have hope for the future. 
In the book of Lamentations, Jeremiah goes on and on about how mad he is at God. He says things like, you have made my teeth to grind against gravel. But then halfway through, mid-rant, he just stops and he says, and yet, this I remember and this I call to mind, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. They never come to an end. Great is your faithfulness, O God. In the middle of his despair, he remembers God's faithfulness in the past. And that gives him hope. A while back, I was praying about some challenges I was facing here at work. And I can't even remember what they are now because they were so small and petty. That's one of the embarrassing things about me. It doesn't take much to get me to my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My squeal point is embarrassingly low. Anyway, I was praying about these trivial challenges, and I remember saying, God, why aren't you helping me? And suddenly I had this memory of a time that God had helped me in my ministry in California in the past. And I remember saying, yeah, but that was different. And then I had another memory of another time he helped me, and I said, yeah, but that one was easier. And then I got a third memory of another time he helped me, and finally I said, yeah, yeah, okay, I get the point. You've been there in the past. You'll, you'll be here now. Part of being honest with God in prayer is to tell him how we feel, but also to remember his past faithfulness. And that leads us to the last step of, of truly honest prayer, and that is to pray with hope. In the middle of this psalm, in verse 22, David suddenly switches gears. He stops going back and forth, stops asking God, where are you? And start saying things like this. I will praise you in the middle of the congregation. For you have heard my cry and you have delivered me. That is, David saying, having been faithful in the past, I know you will be faithful in the future. And the psalm that begins with the words, why have you abandoned me, ends with David surrounded by a group of people praising God together. And that's always what happens when we're honest with God in prayer. We discover that he is there. Maybe not all at once. It usually takes time. This psalm condenses into one prayer what probably took months, maybe even years, to experience. But the basic pattern is the same. If we start out being honest with God, even telling Him when we're upset or angry, and if we remember His faithfulness, we end by seeing that the God that we thought had abandoned us really was there the whole time. I find it interesting that this psalm that begins, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? is immediately followed by the 23rd psalm, which confidently begins, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And ends by saying, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. When we are honest with God, in the end we always find Him. As I've told you before, when I was a freshman in college, I suffered from panic attacks. And if you don't know what those are, they're they're terrible. Your heart races, you think you're having a heart attack, you get nauseous, you get dizzy. I ended up in the emergency room three different times. Had to call the paramedics once. This went on for over a year and a half. Now, at the time, I was living alone in a dingy apartment on University Avenue over in Seattle because I was too shy to live in a dorm. And I would pray and pray about these panic attacks, but nothing happened. They didn't go away. And I remember one night in particular, very clearly, wandering around the U District late at night, having a panic attack, feeling very angry at God. 
saying, you know, you aren't helping. Where are you? Would you please help me? Would it spoil some vast eternal plan of yours if you just gave me a hand here? But I also remember saying, look, I know you've been faithful in the past. I've seen you do stuff. Won't you do something now? Well, a few days later, after that night of prayer, my landlord, without telling me, suddenly rented my apartment to someone else and gave me two days' notice to move out. It was 3 o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday, and there was no way I could find an apartment. Well, you can imagine what that did for my prayer life. Set off a whole new round of being frustrated with God. I remember saying, well, thanks. This didn't help. I pray all night, and what's the result? I get kicked out of my apartment? Oh, this should help the panic attacks. You know, attacks brought on by things that cause panic, like being homeless. Where are you? Well, the only thing I could do was go down to the housing office at the University of Washington and sign up to live in a dorm. I I really didn't have much of a choice at that point. And I was so shy, I remember asking them, do you have a shy person's dorm? And they said, no, but we have quiet floors. And I said, that's good, quiet. Maybe no one will talk to me. That's good, I'll go for that. So I moved in the next day and I remember sitting, moved in and I remember sitting in my room. My roommate was in there, but I didn't talk to him. I sat there for four hours pretending to read a book. Finally, he said something and we started talking and it it turned out he was almost as shy as I was. And over the next few months, we ended up becoming great friends. And that night when I was out yelling at God that night, that was the last night I ever remember having a panic attack. They disappeared completely after that. I think having a friend to talk to helped them go away. A few days earlier, when I was yelling at God and then got kicked out of my apartment, it looked like God had abandoned me. But the truth was, he was there all along. When I poured out my heart to him, told him I was upset, but also remembered that he, what he'd done in the past, he answered my prayer and forced me out of my apartment and into the dorms where I would make a friend so that my panic attacks could go away. And that answered prayer gave me something to remember the next time I felt like God wasn't helping me out. Just when it seemed as if God had disappeared, I discovered that he was there all along, listening to me, crying with me, feeling my pain, and answering my prayer. That's why it seems significant to me that this is the psalm that Jesus quotes from the cross as he's dying. It's pretty clear that this psalm foreshadows Jesus' death on the cross. It was written a thousand years before Jesus, but it predicts with pinpoint accuracy the events of the cross. Things like a crowd of mockers, pierced hands and feet, people dividing clothes and casting lots for them. It's a prediction of what happens at the cross a thousand years before it happened. And what it shows is that whatever feelings David had when he wrote this psalm, Jesus felt them too. Whatever suffering we encounter, Jesus has experienced it, which means he understands. He knows what we're going through because he suffered too, even up to the point of feeling abandoned by God. And what that means is we are never alone. God is always with us. In Jesus, God is always there saying, I get it. I know what this feels like because I felt it too. In Jesus, God is always there crying with us, washing our feet, answering our prayers, even if we can't see it at the time. And all he wants from us is to tell him our honest feelings. Lord, I'm tired. I'm scared. I'm angry. Where are you? And even if all we can say is help, 
or Ugh. God is listening. When we are honest with God, what we find is that the God that we thought had abandoned us has been right beside us the whole time. That's his promise. Lord, thank you so much for this wonderful gift you give us. Lord, there are many of us in this room right now who maybe don't experience your presence. Lord, we pray for them that you would remind them that you are always there, that you are hearing their prayers, that you are answering them. Lord, help us all to be honest with you, both when we are joyful and praise you, but also when we can't find you and feel in despair, so that we can encounter the real you, for that is your promise that you are always there, and we're grateful for that. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.